Hello there, welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manuel Galarza. Today we're bringing down Eagle FC 44 coming up on Friday the 28th of January with a 6 p.m. Eastern start time. If you don't know, Eagle FC is owned by the one and only Khabib Nurmagomedov, and this will be the first event they're having in North America. They're starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. The event's being held in Miami, Florida at the FLX Cast Arena. Names you're going to recognize, names like Rashard Evans, who's coming out of retirement, names like Sergey Karatanov. So you're going to see some fighters here you might recognize, some guys who just come off the UFC like Jorgen Castro. The main event's going to be Tyron Spong versus Sergey Karatanov. We'll go over every fight in the main card, two of the prelim fights, give you the best bets we can in terms of who we think is going to win. We'll talk about a few props, not even sure which books we're going to offer this event. We'll give you the best information we can, along with some background information on the fighters. With that said, here we go. Let's jump right in. We're going to talk about the prelim card. It's going to be a heavyweight battle between Jorgen DeCastro and Sean Asher. Now, you might recognize the name Jorgen DeCastro, who was on the UFC roster last year. Unfortunately, was let go. Jorgen DeCastro goes by the Mad Titan. He's 7-3-0 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights. He hails from Cape Verde, though he's currently based out of Fall River, Massachusetts, 34 years old, 6-foot night with 74-inch reach. He trains at a regiment training center. As for Mr. Asher, who goes by the bully, 13-4-1 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He hails out of Ohio, 42 years old, 6-foot high with 73-inch reach. Now looking at tapology, it appears that DeCastro is the favorite, getting 92% of the votes here. Only 8% of the votes coming in for Asher. I like you're going to win the fight. I believe experience-wise, he has the you know advantage. I think youth-wise, clearly has an advantage. Let's talk about the run that Jorgen DeCastro had in the UFC. In 2019, he wins a fight on Dana White Contender Series, round one hammer fist over Alton Meeks. Woo, things are looking good, right? Then goes to UFC, fights Justin Taffa, knocks him out in UFC 243, Whitaker versus Adesanya. First round knockout, 2 minutes and 10 seconds. So things are looking great. That's 2019. In 2020, he loses by decision against Carlos Felipe and Greg Hardy. Okay, whatever. His last fight under his contract was against Jaris Danho. 2021, last year, April, gets knocked out. Pretty terrible knockout round one. I mean, it's a one-hit wonder type of knockout. He gets knocked out. Unfortunately, UFC lets him go. He then went on to fight in November of last year against Danell Williams, where he won by decision in CSCC5, where he was the main event, main, excuse me, where he was the main event to Castro versus Williams. The guy is a decent level heavyweight. I believe he's at least Bellator level material, maybe PFL material, obviously trying to work his way back in. Kind of a heavier set guy, but very athletic, moves well on his feet and has a lot of power like most of these heavyweights do. Now, let's talk about Sean Asher. Here's a guy who's coming off of a loss against Steve Marry. That was back in April of last year in Bellator 257. So he's fought in Bellator twice. He's 0-2 in Bellator. He's also fought in RFA, which I believe he's 0-1 in RFA. He's fought for turf wars. He's fought for hard knocks, but hasn't really been able to break through the top level. At this point in his career, 42 years old, he's never been the most agile or fleet of foot fighter. But I think now... Age is becoming more of a factor. He's slowing down even more. If you look at his fight links in the description here, you're going to see a fight that he fought in 2011. I would encourage you to watch this fight. It's absolutely hilarious. Somehow he gets pulled out of the ring. Him and the fighters land outside the ring, but he like doesn't get up and he's, I guess, claiming that he got hit in the head somehow. And he's not feeling well, so they're trying to analyze him. While the referees are talking to him outside the ring on the floor, some kids come over, they're like checking on him, like, are you okay? There's like a crowd of people around him. I'm like, what kind of promotion is, what kind of backyard shit is this? Anyway, the bottom line is, I don't believe Sean Asher has enough here at 42 years old to compete with Jorgen DeCastro. Now, the money line is a little scary. At minus 400, I think that's very risky if you were to play that. Now, granted, this is this is prelim card here for EFC, but at minus 400, I'm saying Jorgen DeCastro probably wins the fight. I just won't have any part of this from a betting perspective. It's better off just to watch it and see what happens. For Jorgen DeCastro, I hope he can find his way back to Bellator, PFL, UFC, something on that level. I think he kind of got a tough deal there with the decision losses to Felipe and Greg Hardy and then being let go. I'm going with DeCastro win the fight. 
probably by a TKO of some kind. I think he overwhelmed Sean Asher at some point, who doesn't move very well as it is, and has shown some chin issues here recently in a later part of his career. So that's the breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight if you're betting on it. The second of two fights we're going to break down on the prelim card for Eagle FC 44 is going to be a featherweight bout at 145 pounds between Armand Ospinov from Kazakhstan and Dylan Salvatore from France. Salvatore is 3-1 overall, 28 years old, 5-9 in height. He's training at Nassar K. As for Armand Ospinov, 11-4 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights, 32 years old, so about four years older, 5-10 in height, 1 inch taller, and he's out of Arlon MMA Pro Team. We don't have a reach number on these two guys, but watching film on them, I'm going to say their reach is about average to their height, so maybe about 68, 69, 70 inch reach for both fighters. Now looking here at topology, I'm going to imagine the votes are probably coming in for Ospinov. Yes, so 71% of the votes here are coming in for Ospinov, 29% of the votes are coming in for Salvador. I do agree with Ospinov as the pick. I like him, and I like him in just about every area when I compare him side by side. So if I'm looking at like fighter experience, for example, I definitely give an edge to Ospinov. IQ-wise, cardio-wise, finishing, Pretty much every which way I've compared the two fighters side by side, I give an edge to Armand Ospinov. The only thing that concerns me for Ospinov is that Dylan Salvador, like any fighter, has a punch, has a chance, you know, has a puncher's chance. And Armand Ospinov, if there's one kryptonite he's had recently, it's been the chin. I'm not sure how durable his chin is. So let's look here at some of the background information on the fighters. So Ospinov, as we mentioned, is from Kazakhstan. He has no amateur fighting experience, 0-1 PFL, and he's been a pro for 10 years. Some of the most notable opponents that Armand Ospinov has faced so far. He went against Chris Wade. He lost round two TKO in a PFL matchup last year. If you watch that fight, it's my opinion he was winning the fight, obviously, until he got TKO'd. But he was actually winning the fight, doing a good job. He did knock down Chris Wade. He had Chris Wade a little stunned. And if you know Chris Wade, the guy's got a chin. Chris Wade ends up coming back and catching Ospinov with a knee, but it was a kick that where the knee hits the head instead of the foot, if you can get my drift. Anyway, it was a little bit of a weird knockout. Not that it wasn't a good knockout for Chris Wade, but it was a little bit fluky, and Armand unfortunately went down and was unable to recover. So he's been in there with Wade. He also fought Demir Ismagulov in a grappling bout in 2021. He lost that match. And then he also lost a round two submission in 2017 to Thiago Silva. Looking at his background, he has been in there with some pretty tough opponents, UFC-level caliber guys. He's got a high finish rate. He's got four wins by TKO in a row. A very effective lower leg kicking game. You're thinking, okay, here's a guy with the last name, Kazakhstan, the whole deal. No, he's more of a striker, and he's a very good inside leg kick, lower leg kick to his opponent. No matter what stance they're in, he's going to attack the legs. He knocked down Chris Wade, so I want to again mention that. Chris Wade's got a very good chin, so you can see right there, he's got striking power. He's got the ability to kick his opponents, strike with his hands. He'll, he'll also do that in combination. Very good footwork. He's always moving, so he's never a stand, standstill target for his opponent. He seems to have decent cardio, so he keeps up that head movement, body movement, foot movement through the entire fight. He had an exciting knockout in 2019 over Ali Eskiev, where he does a flying knee, knocks the guy out. It was pretty dramatic, second round. So he's got, again, striking ability. He hurt Chris Wade, knocked out this guy with a knee. Now, my concerns for Ospinov, he's lost five of his last seven fights, and he's been finished in three of those fights. He may not have the strongest chin, but it seems like right now, it hasn't been extremely durable lately. We'll see what happens here in this fight, because he's going to be fighting against a guy who's going to at least test him a little bit at times. He hasn't won back-to-back -back fights in over five years. As for the French fighter, Dylan Salvador, he went pro 2011, extensive kickboxing background, 52-17-3 overall kickboxing with 22 KOs, former Waco world champion, 2016 Glory Contender Tournament winner as well, so had his accolades in kickboxing before he transitioned over to mixed martial arts. His most notable opponent to date was Joshua Anderson, who's fought one LFA fight, 0-1. He lost him via rear naked choke 2021, and I bring that up because I kind of want to put into context what level of, of mixed martial arts we're talking about. So he lost to a guy 
who's 0-1 in LFA. So that kind of puts things in context for where I think Dylan Salvatore is at at this point. Some things I do like about Salvador, he was very active last year. In 2021 alone, he fought five mixed martial arts bouts, two exhibition bouts, and three regular bouts. He throws pretty good combinations using his hands and his feet. He's a balanced fighter. He's not amazing anywhere, but he's not terrible anywhere. He only shows one TKO loss on his topology, so I imagine it's not going to be easy here for Osmanov just to get him out of here with one strike. Concerns I have here on Salvador. He displayed very poor cardio in his fight against Ali Zebian. That was his last mixed martial arts fight. In that fight, he gets taken down, can't get back up. You can see he's gassed. His movement is getting slower and slower. By round three, he's more or less ineffective. He doesn't have an offensive wrestling game or grappling game. Whatever happens to him wrestling-wise is whatever happens to him. He tends to allow his opponent to lead the dance, set the tempo, especially in the last fight against Ali Zebian. And you'll see what I mean. He kind of allows the other fighter to lead the tempo. Very poor takedown defense, in my opinion. He has trouble getting back up. He got taken down repeatedly in that fight against Ali Zebian. He holds his hands pretty low, doesn't have the best stand-up defense. So, you know, if you want to strike him or jab him, it's there for the taking. And he has a low finish rate. His last three fights have all gone to decision. The fights we watched to break down this film, we watched Armin Ospinov versus Chris Wade, Ospinov versus Lom Ali Eskew, Dylan Salvador versus Ali Zebian, and Dylan Salvador in an old match 2016 versus Banchamek, which was a Muay Thai bout. I think experience-wise, I give the edge to Ospinov. IQ-wise, I give the edge to Ospinov. Cardio, finishing ability, boxing, and grappling, I give all those categories an edge to Ospinov. I think Dylan Salvador coming in here with very little experience, only having fought four total fights, I just think he's a little bit overmatched here by a fighter who has been in there with some better fighters, who is younger, 28 years old, who still has a chance possibly to make their way back to Bellator or PFL. You know, Eagle FC is a new promotion here to the States. We'll see what happens. We'll see how big it gets. But for someone like Ospinov, who's on the prelim card for this kind of event, you definitely have to think, you know, he's had some brighter days behind him and he wants to get back to the bigger stages. I think he comes in here and simply outclasses Salvador. The money line right now is at minus 180. This is one of the most valuable, you know, closer picks on the card. I believe Ospinov, unless he's going to get cracked, anything could happen here. But I like him. If the books are going to offer it, I will get a little chunk of this money here at minus 180. I think Ospinov on the money line is a bit of a steal. I like him to win the fight. If he doesn't finish the fight, I think he wins by decision because he's going to have more volume, more output, have the fresher tank later in the fight. That's my breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. Let me know what you think. The main event for Eagle FC 44 is going to start off with a catchweight bout at 170 pounds between the Nigerian fighter Anthony Njikwani, who goes by the Assassin, and the Russian Raymond Magomedolayev. Now Njikwani, that last name might ring a bell if you watched any Dana White Contender Series this past year. His brother, Chidi Njikwani, won a contract and he's actually fighting his first UFC fight in about two weeks against Marc-Andre Barriut, so look out for his brother coming up here soon. Njikwani is also a former UFC fighter himself, 16-12 and 12 overall. On a bit of a rough patch here, 0-5 in his last five fights. He hails from Nigeria, where he was born, but he was raised actually in the United States. He's now based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, 41 years old in 10 months, so about to be 42 years old, getting up there. Six feet in height with a 77.5-inch reach. He trains out of Sexton, Janjira, Muay Thai. As for Raymond Magomedolayev, the Russian, he's specifically from, you know what part of Russia, you guessed it, Dagestan. 8-1 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, 31 years old, so he'll be 11 years younger here than his counterpart, 6-1 in height, so 1 inch taller. We don't have a reach number on Raymond Magomedolayev, but if you look at film on him, his reach, I would say, is comparable to his height, his height excuse me, so about 72 to 73 inches. I believe there'll be a 4-inch or so reach advantage for Anthony, who has very long arms. Uh, Raymond trains out of Kripos Fight Club. Now, looking at topology... Magomed Alayev, the Russian, is getting a lot of love here. About 95% of the votes coming in are on, on his side. Only 5% coming in for Anthony Njikwani. I think the biggest factor here we have to talk about 
is age. If this fight was like seven, eight years ago, and Raymond was the same age, 31 years old, and you got, you know, Anthony Ninjaquani, like at 33, 34, whatever, the dude was really good at, at one point in his career. He fought some top-level competition. We're going to go through that when we go over his topology. But the bottom line is age is the biggest factor. I think that alone is going to prevent Anthony from getting a win here, whereas in his prime, I think he would have cleaned up Raymond Magomed alive. Raymond's coming in with a seven-year experience. Not so bad. 19 years, though, for Anthony. So definitely has an experience advantage. The fighting style for Magomed alive. He uses a Muay Thai style, so don't like think his name, the region Dagestan, wrestler. No, he doesn't fight like Khabib. He's more of a kickboxer. I'll use the example again. He fights very similar to like Saeed Nurmagomedov, where he uses distance, um, uses length. Now, he does work good in the clinch. The best part of his game, I think his biggest weapon is his dirty boxing in the clinch. Elbows, not just in the clinch, but just inside close. Elbows, knees, does a lot of good work there. His biggest weakness thus far for him has been a lack of competition. And even when he fought like one or two guys that were, eh, he struggled, got a loss against Nagashima, which we'll talk about. We'll see what he looks like. But I imagine overall his fighting style is going to be that Muay Thai style, work in the clinch, work dirty boxing, but still keep space at times when he needs to. As for Ninja Kwani, excellent footwork. Even as he's getting older here, his cardio has been up to speed in his last few showings. He does good footwork, moves around with his feet, sets up strikes. His biggest weakness, I think, though, was his stand-up defense. For some reason, it's like he's slowing down recently in his last few fights. Um, the reaction time isn't, isn't there as much. And he uses a prototypical kickboxing style. So when you watch this fight, you might think at times, is this a kickboxing match? Both guys tend to keep the fight on the feet. There will be a wrestling advantage there for Magomed Alive if he decides to use it. But sometimes he'll go one or two rounds straight without doing any wrestling at all. Raymond Magomed Alive is from Dagestan, specifically from the capital city of Makachikala. He studied wrestling as a kid, which all kids there do that. For them in that region, doing wrestling at a young age is probably like playing t-ball here in the United States. So he wrestled throughout his teenage years as well, finishes high school, then goes into the Russian military. While in the Russian military, I'm not sure how they do this, but I guess they allot time for their soldiers to do training, especially the ones that are in mixed martial arts. While in the military, he becomes combat samba world champion. Kung Fu Sanda world champion and hand-to-hand -hand combat world champion. He's 2-1 as an amateur, 3-1 in one championship event. He had a 17-second knockout in 2018. So he's done good with like the lower-level competition. My big red flag with him is when he fought James Nakashima, which is by far, I think, his toughest opponent to date. In that fight, he loses. Okay, no big deal, you know, by decision. But it's how he loses. You would not expect a Russian Dagestani type of fighter, wrestled since he was a kid, to get completely out-wrestled, out-manhandled. Now, how does that happen? One, maybe some gas tank issues. Two, not a good wrestler, just the bottom line. He was getting taken down. He was getting dominated. Couldn't get back up by a guy in Nagashima who is a balanced fighter, yes. But Nagashima is not UFC material. I wouldn't even say PFL material or Bellator material. He's been a decent one championship fighter. He's been okay. So he got dominated in that fight. Didn't look that good. He came into that fight undefeated. And he just got really dominated. So that was his highest opponent thus far. The things I do like about Magomed. He's got excellent lower leg kicks. He's going to have the lower leg kicks there if he wants to take advantage of it. He's got excellent elbows and knees when he's in close, as we mentioned. His dirty boxing game is, is, is wonderful. He throws exciting strikes at times. Now, this is a positive and a negative. Like, he'll jump up against the cage. He'll do some weird shit. He'll do stuff that, like, um, Pereira would pull. Like, he's just very, I'll put it this way, artistic and creative in the way he throws strikes. On the flip side, you know what the con is. It takes a lot of energy, and sometimes that gets you in weird positions where you can get and then falling down. Someone falls on top of you. He's got a good finish rate. He's finished seven of his eight wins. He's only got one loss. You know, eight and one, had one win by decision. Has never been finished in his young career. He did get finished once as an amateur, but that was via rear naked choke. So he's never been knocked out in an MMA fight. 
My concerns here with Magomed Alive. He's not an elite grappler. I mentioned it before. If Magomed, Magomed Alive wanted to use grappling or some wrestling to try to get an advantage, to try to get some points in the scorecards, this would be the opportunity. You know, he's fighting a guy who's strictly a kickboxer, but will he do it? I'm not sure. I have not seen him do very well with his, his wrestling in prior fights. His kicks, they tend to be caught very easily, and I'm not sure if I was just looking for it, but if you look at, for example, the fight against Pierotti, that fight, the first kick he throws, the guy catches it and almost gets a takedown. And the fight against Nagashima, he gets his his legs get, get caught very often. I'm not sure why that is. Is it because they can see it coming? He's not setting it up enough. But the point is, when he fights guys who are looking to catch his leg kick and take him down, it's there for the taking the entire time. Will Anthony do that? Probably not. He could be a little more active. He fought one fight in 2021. Okay. He fought two fights in 2022, so that was pretty good. But he didn't fight at all in 2019. So I'd like to see him be more active again at the age of 31. You've got guys right now fighting three times a year, then doing some grappling. You know, I just feel like he could be a little more active. The creative striking, as I mentioned before, it looks good on film, especially when it lands. Could it get him gassed? I've seen him slow down at times. Against Nagashima, he definitely had a cardio issue, was unable to get up off the ground. Let's talk about Anthony Ninjukwani. So born in Nigeria, his family moved to Texas as a young kid. He started Taekwondo at 17 years old, moved over to mixed martial arts at the age of 21. His younger brother, as we mentioned, is currently in the UFC. He originally started his career off in mixed martial arts as a kickboxer, where he went 24-0. He won the Kansas State title. After that, he moved over to mixed martial arts. So that was from 2001 to 2008, the early part of his career. He joined the UFC in 2011. He went 3-5 in the UFC. Eh, okay. He was let go in 2014. Now, the losses he had in the UFC, they are pretty decent losses. He went over John McDessey in 2014 via decision. That was UFC 145, man, forever ago. He lost to Barbosa via decision. That was UFC 128. And round two specifically, he won that round. Round one, he got a little hurt, but he dealt with it well. He showed a good chin, he, good athletic ability. Both guys were landing hard kicks. It was a good fight overall to see what he looked like when he was in his prime. He lost to Donald Cerrone by decision in Ring of Fire promotion 2007. He lost to Rafael Dos Anjos again by decision 2018. I'm sorry, 2012 in a UFC event. And then another decision loss to Vince Pichel 2014, UFC 173. Here's a guy who went 3-5 and five in the UFC. All those names that I just mentioned are guys that are durable, still hanging around the UFC, still have a contract. He falls on the wrong side of those decisions. He's on the outside now looking in. But during that time, his chin was clearly intact. Donald Cerrone. Edson Barbosa, McDessie, Dos Anjos, Pichel, he was taking punches from those guys and able to go the full distance. I think that's one big part of his game that's changed now. In his older age, you're seeing him get clipped, not respond as well. So the positives here on Anthony, he's going to bring a lot of experience to the table. He's got a lot, large variety of kicks, leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks. You know, in his prime years, I think he would have probably, again, outlasted Magomed Alayev. Excellent footwork on the side of Anthony. He'll use footwork to avoid punches, avoid strikes, and also set up his own strikes. Now, let's talk about the, the areas that I'm concerned for for Anthony Njikwani. Number one, the last five fights. He's 0-5. He's racking up the L's recently. He's 4-10 in his last 14 MMA fights, that is. And when you look at his tapology, you notice like he has not fought a traditional MMA bout in almost six years. Yes, six years since the last time he fought a traditional MMA bout. And you look at tapology, like, no, he's got a a bare-knuckle MMA bout that he fought for Game Bread last month. He fought a Muay Thai fight two years ago, almost three years ago now, 2019. He fought a kickboxing bout two years before that, 2017, and another Muay Thai fight, 2017 as well. He has not fought a traditional mixed martial arts fight in six years. He doesn't grapple, doesn't wrestle. If Magomed Alive came in here with some type of at least part of a game plan, not the whole game plan, but to look for maybe one or two shots per round, or maybe just one or two shots in the first and second round and then play it by ear after that. 
he should get a chance to take him down, get some control time, and win around easier by points. But I also would have thought that against Nagashima, and that did not happen for him. So there's, you know, there's tools there in the side of Anthony. There's ways that he could possibly get to you know, Magomed alive. But overall, he does have some deficiencies, and I believe the biggest one is the fact that he's on the other side of his career. He's clearly on the downside. He went from being a UFC fighter to now fighting game bread, now fighting, you know, these type of fights right now. I feel like for him, clearly the writing's on the wall. The fights that we watched to do the study on this film, we watched Magomed Alive versus Nakashima, Magomed Alive versus Joey Perotti, Ninjukwani versus Irsil, Ninjukwani versus Barbosa, and Ninjukwani versus Dos Anjos. And so those five links will be in the description if you want to watch those fights on your own. The last few details on the fighters side by side. I think grappling wise is going to be an advantage for Magomed Alive. Boxing wise, these guys are very similar. I do think Magomed Alive will be a little quicker at this point in the career for Ninja Kwani and maybe landing the harder strikes, especially the elbows in tight where I think he could do some damage and maybe even clip Ninja Kwani at some point. The finishing ability, slightly on the side of Magomed Alive, either just for, for the reasons I just said, you know, hitting a little bit harder, elbows in the clinch. I think, you know, Ninja Kwani is going to have a nice variety of strikes, some nice, nice kicks, some nice strikes at some times, but won't hit as hard as Magomed Alive. I'm going to give the experience and the IQ advantage here to Anthony Njikwani for the obvious reasons. More fights, been around a little bit longer, fought better competition. I want to say the younger fighters should have better cardio, but I've seen some issues there with Raymond Magomedalive and his cardio, whereas for Anthony Njikwani, even as an older fighter, has shown that he can stand his bicycle, move around. Just fought last month, as we mentioned, so he's staying very active even as a 42-year-old. It's impressive. So cardio-wise, about equal. Finishing ability, I do think Magomedalive hits a little harder, the elbows inside. I could see him clipping Ninjukwani at some point in the fight. I hope Ninjukwani can go the distance, but I'm not sure he'll be able to avoid all that contact when they get into dirty boxing. Boxing, I think they're equal. They both throw a good amount of kicks, leg kicks. Ninjukwani's a nice overall balanced, you know, striker. He punches, kicks, he looks good in the feet, he circles well. And again, don't be confused by the age. He does, does very well for his age, shows good cardio. So boxing-wise, very similar. Now, grappling... Raymond Magomed Alive is not a very good grappler. I've, I've already talked about this, but he is going to be a better grappler than Anthony Njikwani, who never grapples, never wrestles. That's no part of his game. i got to imagine that Magomed Alive and his camp have at least focused on at least having that as a part of his game plan. Got to execute some grappling here, at least to get some of the rounds. All in all, as we conclude this breakdown, I want to see Anthony Njikwani come out here and do a great job, represent old UFC veteran. He's obviously at the other end of his career. But the reality is the youth is going to be something he can't overcome. I think Magomed Alive gets this fight. And at minus 500, it poses the ultimate question of like, how do you bet in this fight? I think you parlay him. And man, you should do it with some confidence, right? It should be some confidence behind Magomed Alive for all the reasons we just talked about. But minus 500 is very, very starch. I just think that uh, you might be better off just passing altogether. If there's a prop bet available, I think Magomed Alive by TKO. In those last few fights, when you're looking at Anthony Jaquani, it just seems like the chin is not there like it used to be. He was in there with guys like Edson Barbosa and some other fighters where he looked good, was able to take the, you know, take the strikes. Looking at a fight 2019 against Regan Ursel, kickboxing bout. And round two, kickboxing, he gets torn up by just a, a simple combination inside. Doesn't see the punches for some reason. Doesn't react very well. Gets hit by one, doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, adjust to it, hit by another. Next thing you know, it's like a, a knockout you would see like on World Star. It looks to me like the chin is starting to go. That's the first part of his game that's going. It's not the cardio, not the footwork, not the striking. The, the guy's all there. But if he gets clipped by one elbow inside by Magomed Alive or something hard, I fear he's going to start to fall down and we're going to see a finish here at some point. So how do you bet in the fight? I think you parlay Magomed Alive. I think you play that prop by Magomed Alive by TKO. And then if you just want to put some money out there just to donate to the Anthony Njikwani Fund, 
I think you take Ninja Kwani by decision, which that would end up being something plus, like plus 500 or something like that. We're just taking him out right, plus 375. Good luck with this one, guys. Let me know what you think. And if, as always, please like and subscribe. Next up, we have a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between the American fighter John Howard and the Russian Ramazan Kamagomedov. Kamagomedov's undefeated 9-0 from Dagestan, Russia, that very well-known region that produces a lot of wrestlers, guys like Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's six foot one in height with a 73-inch reach, and he's also doing some training out of Jackson Wink MMA, though he does the bulk of his training there back home in Dagestan, which we'll talk more about when we break down this film. Now for John Howard, who goes by Doomsday, 29-17-1 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights. He hails from Boston, where he grew up. He's 38 years old in 10 months, so about to be 39. 5'7 in height with a 72-inch reach, so gives up 4 inches in height, only 1 inch in reach. He trades out of FAF Gym. Now looking here at Tapology, Kumagomedov is getting most of the votes here, about 96% to be exact, only 4% coming in for Howard. I get it. It's, again, the name. We talked about this recently with UFC 270. I was giving Cody Stamen a chance during that um, that matchup. I thought I'd at least go the distance. Cody ends up getting submitted pretty early in round one. Saeed you know, Nurmagomedov did a great job. The Nurmagomedov names, the, the money line has got it built in. They're getting you know an extra sort of drive there. I think in this matchup, I'm not surprised if Ramazan wins. John Howard's got some deficiencies. He's getting older. He's slowing down. I think John Howard is a live dog. I think he pr proposes some opportunities here to potentially finish the fight with KO Power. And so as we break down this film, I'll try to give you my reasons for why I like John Howard as a dog. John Howard's 18 years pro experience compared to Ramazan, who has eight years. Howard's a boxer, brawler. He fights a lot like an old boxer that he reminds me of Joe Frazier. Joe Frazier was like more of a round mound, like shorter heavyweight. So he fought with guys who were like six foot four, six foot five, and yet he was only like 5'10". And he had more of a round build, sort of like Mike, Mike Tyson's. John Howard's most lethal strike is either a left hand or right hand hook inside tight. If you look at the film against Ray Cooper, that links in the description, you'll see what he does to Ray Cooper. He knocks him out round one, and he just catches him with a few left hooks that are just vicious. If he were to catch Ramazan, I think that could be his path to victory, which we'll talk more about. The boxing style of Ramazan... You think he's a wrestler. You hear Dagestan. You hear some of the training partners we're going to talk about. You know, guys like Saeed Nurmagomedov. But he's actually much more of a striker. And look, consider Saeed Nurmagomedov. He just went over Cody Stamen recently. And he actually has a striking game, kickboxing, you know, type of attack. Ramazan is like that. Ramazan will go a full round without even trying to get a takedown. He can fool you from that standpoint. Very high volume. One of the strengths I do like about, you know, Nurmagomedov. The only issue I have with Nurmagomedov, the main issue would be competition. We still haven't really seen him prove himself. He's 9-0. He did go to a split decision day my contender series against Jordan Williams. As for John Howard, his biggest strength is his hands. He has KO power in both hands. He could, I believe, finish Kamagomedov at some point in this fight, three rounds, if he's able to hit him with the right shot. On the flip side, John Howard is slowing down. Age is a factor. Looking at some of the notes here I have on the two fighters, background on Ramazan. He is from Dagestan, as we mentioned. He grew up wrestling. At the age of 15, he starts doing some mixed martial arts training. Now, these are the current training partners that he's listed as having. Said Nurmagomedov, Omar Nurmagomedov, Magomed Magomedov, and Zabit Magomed Sharapov. These are all very high-level mixed martial arts artists who are fighting on different levels, different promotions from Bellator to UFC. He's only 25, very young. Big future ahead of him, undefeated. He was 5-3 and three as an amateur. He's a southpaw, which I noticed, and a very good, fluid striker. Again, it surprised you. Thinking again, don't get it out of your head. He's not just a wrestler. He's a very good striker. He does not fight like Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's got a much more elusive kicking game, 
uh, lower leg kicking game. He attacks the lower leg. If you do not block the lower leg, he's going to eat up your front leg. So that's one thing I do like about watching him fight. He won a split decision against Jordan Williams on Dana White Contender Series in 2019, but he wasn't signed after that. Now, he was only 22 years old at the time. It was a split decision win. It wasn't the most exciting fight. It was somewhat even, though you could see the damage more clearly on Jordan Williams' face. And for some reason, one judge gave it actually 30-27 for Williams. One judge gave it to him. And then the other two judges gave it 29-28 for Kamanga Metal. So kind of a weird thing with the judges there. He's 3-0 between PFL, UAE, and CFFC. His biggest win was over Jordan Williams, Dana White Contenders, because that was a guy who's now currently in UFC. So he hasn't fought, again, very high-level competition. The things I like about Kamanga Metal's game... He's got a balanced attack, so he can wrestle, he can grapple, he looks to get some takedowns at times in the fight, but he's very good in his feet, very high pace, very high output, very good footwork too. So again, you're thinking, oh, wrestler type, a grappler, no, he's got good footwork, he'll circle, look for his opportunity, he'll stay on his bicycle the entire three rounds, very good cardio. He's got a decent jab, so again, you're not thinking a wrestler, grappler, this guy's a striker, a jabber, a kicker, and very high volume. If he gets into the clinch, he likes to use a tie clinch. Knees to the body, knees to the head if he can. He's got a 60% finish rate, so he's finished six of his 10 wins. Not bad. Now, not the greatest competition, but still, he's got some finishes there by TKO and by submission. My concerns for Ramazan. He doesn't use his wrestling enough, in my opinion. So if you watch the fight, for example, against Jordan Wright, he waits till, I think, round two to finally even attempt to take down. That fight went with a split decision. It could have been a little bit easier for him if he used some more of his wrestling. So I'd like to see him wrestle more. He got rocked against Jordan Williams, and here's that window where I say that John Howard is a live dog. If you look at the fight against Jordan Williams, there's a point, I believe, is it round one or round two? Anyway, he gets clipped. He doesn't get knocked down to the ground, but you can see him get like Bambi legs. He gets a little flustered, and it's it's not the hardest punch. I guess it's a perfect spot, just the way it hit him. He wasn't ready for it, but it's kind of a soft hook. And I thought to myself, if he gets hit by one of John Howard's hooks, we're going to see, does Ramazan have a chin? Because he didn't show the best chin in that moment. And I'm thinking John Howard, he's only going to have one path of victory here. It's going to be trying to knock out Ramazan. John Howard doesn't have the output volume or conditioning, I believe, to go three rounds and win the fight to, you know, two out of three rounds. So I think he's going to be looking for a TKO at some point. He appears not to have KO power in his punches. What I mean by that is I'm, I'm appears. I don't know that. I haven't been hit by Ramazan. But he's more of a volume striker doesn't put it seems like a lot behind his punches he's striking it'll add up over time but over the course of three rounds he just doesn't seem to be loading up and landing anything that's very hard john howard has a chin he'll he'll go in there and trade with a guy and at some point in the fight whether it's round one round two round three john howard will try to force ramazan to get into an exchange with him and just a good old-fashioned barnyard brawl at the young age of 25 i also like to see ramazan be a little busier he fought once 2021 once 2020 and he fought twice 2019 could be a little busier i know i'm being picky here but and a guy who's 25 years old, you'd like to see him fighting, you know, twice a year at least at this point in his career. So John Howard from Boston, Massachusetts. He played high school football and basketball but did not wrestle. He began his formal mixed martial arts training shortly after graduating from high school. He went pro in 2004. He's fought for several promotions. He's fought for CFFC, XMMA, XFFC, UFC, and PFL. He's 3-2-1 PFL overall. He had multiple stints in the UFC. His overall record in the UFC being 7-7. Seven and seven. His last UFC fight, UFC fight excuse me, was in 2015 versus Tim Means, where he got KO'd in round two. The first time he was in the UFC was 2009 to 2011. Second time was 2013 and 2015. He was diagnosed with autism at the age of 33 years old, which, you know, he's diagnosed, he's fine, whatever. But he said he explained a lot of things in his life before that that were kind of giving him, you know, I guess, issues or challenges. He has three daughters. He's a fan of all Boston sports teams, especially the Patriots. His most notable opponents, he fought Ray Cooper. He beat Ray Cooper, 2019, first round knockout. 
He was a plus 400 underdog going into that fight. Reminds me of a fight like this. He goes out there round one, starches Ray Cooper. I understand John Howard's not going to have the best gas tank in round two, round three. I understand Kamagamadov probably can take him down if he wants to. But there's that chance, like that Ninganu chance in a heavyweight fight. You know, John Howard has the power to possibly connect and do something here at some point. And I think he's going to be chasing that the entire time. And if he can't get it by round end of round one, middle of round two, it's probably going to be gone. He'll probably lose the fight by decision easily. The positives about John Howard's game, he's very effective in close quarters. Kamaga Medal's going to look to circle John Howard, but if John Howard can close off the cage at some point or cut off the cage, he's going to look to work in close. He's very good with dirty boxing, elbows, knees, and of course, his most damaging shots are hooks, but they got to be in tight. He's not going to have the reach advantage, of course. He's not much of a jabber. He looks to get in close. So that's going to be his challenge. How does he close the distance? He's got a solid chin. If he's coming in there and Ramazan hits him with one or two things, I believe John Howard will be able to take that. I don't think that Ramazan has a lot of power behind his punches. John Howard doesn't have the best takedown defense, but he does have a little takedown offense in his game. And when he uses it at times, he's able to be successful. Will it work against Ramazan? Ugh, probably not. And last but not least, it's the power factor. John Howard has the power, potentially, I believe, to end this fight. Now, here's the issues I have with Howard's game. In recent fights, for example, against David Machado 2019, he got so easily taken down in that fight several times. Not just early in the fight, it was throughout the entire fight. Like, his balance was off, no good takedown defense, no sprawling. He got gassed out towards the end of the round one in that fight. It just didn't look good. He's been very inconsistent of late. He's 3-4-1 in his last eight fights, for example. He's been stopped or finished five times in his career. He's had trouble working from distance against lower-level fighters. Here you have Ramazan, who's very good at distance, can circle him, can you know, get around him, use his footwork. That could be a problem here for John Howard, even to close distance. He's got limited combinations. He doesn't throw like three or four punch combinations. It's one punch at a time or one, two, and that's about it. Doesn't have much of a kicking game and a low finish rate. His last three fights have all gone a decision. And seven of his last nine fights have gone a decision. He could be more, more active as well. He fought two times in 2021, but did not fight at all in 2020. The film links that we watched to break down this fight. We watched Ramazan versus Jordan Williams 2019. Ramazan versus Hale 2018. Howard versus Machado 2019. And Howard versus Cooper the third in 2019. Those four links are in the description. The last few points I want to talk about these two fighters. Howard's going to have the clear experience advantage and the fighter IQ advantage. He just fought a lot more fights. Obviously, he fought 14 total UFC fights, 7-7 seven and seven UFC. He's going to have the experience advantage. Now, does he have more potential than Ramazan? No. Does Ramazan have a brighter future? Absolutely. But in this particular fight here, you got to give the veteran a little bit of the advantage there in fighter IQ and experience. Cardio-wise, I'm going to give that edge to Ramazan. Again, I mentioned before, I saw John Howard slowing down in some of his fights, especially towards the end of round one, round two. Finishing-wise, I'm giving the edge to John Howard. Ramazan... He could maybe get a submission here if John Howard's like very tired or something like that. But in terms of punching power, in that area alone, John Howard definitely, to me, in my opinion, has the KO power, has the advantage there in finishing. Boxing, I think Ramazan's the better overall boxer. He has a very nice jab, throws more combinations, more technical. But it's like the comparison of Cyril Gaon and Francis Ngannou. Even though Ngannou did not win the fight by a knockout, like overall, it's like Ngannou has the one-punch power, Cyril Gaon's more of the technician. In this fight here, it's like John Howard is the guy with the power, one punch KO power, whereas Ramazan's a technician will land more punches, more memorable combinations, it'll look prettier. For grappling, I'm gonna give the edge to Ramazan. You know, John Howard can wrestle when he applies himself. I mean, he's decent at it, but man, he doesn't even sprawl at times. He looks easy to take down. If Ramazan decides to take the fight to the ground at some point, just to secure position points, just to get the you know judges and scorecards on his side, it's not gonna be difficult for him to do it. 
If he gets John Howard in his back, you know, Howard gets tired in round one, round two. Again, it'd be easy on the scorecard for him to pick up points for those rounds. I'm going to go with John Howard. I think that as a dog, he's live here at plus 300. I mean, looking at this straight up on how you would bet it, if you were going to bet Ramazan straight up, it's minus 400. You know, what, what value would you find there anyway? Does he win the fight? Probably. He probably beats the veteran here. But hey, you know what? Probably is not good enough when you're talking about plus 300. I think John Howard has the ultimate, what, puncher's chance? I'm going to go with the American Fighter. We'll see how it works out. Let me know how you guys think in the comment section. Next up, we have a bandweight bout at 135 pounds between two American fighters that you might recognize from the UFC. Ray Borg, the Taz Mexican Devil, and Cody Gibson, who goes by the Renegade. Cody Gibson's 18-7 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He hails out of California, 34 years old, 5'10 in height with 71-inch reach. He trades out of trifecta MMA. As for Ray Borg, he goes by the Taz Mexican Devil. He's 14-5 overall, 3-2 in his last five fights. He's out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, 28 years old, so about six years younger here than Cody Gibson. Five foot four in height, so a big disadvantage there in height, six inches to be exact, and 63-inch reach will give him an eight-inch disadvantage in the reach. He's at a fit NHB. Now, looking at the topology numbers, though, Ray Borg is a big favorite, getting about 84% of the votes here, only 16% of the votes coming in for Cody Gibson. I do like Ray Borg, and at first glance at this fight, I kind of was on him too, but if you're watching this on YouTube, as you can see, the arrow is pointed towards Cody Gibson. We are going to stop with Cody Gibson. We'll lay out our argument. We'll give you the reasons why. Some background information on the fighters. Ray Borg is from Arizona, actually born in Tucson. He's currently married with children. He left the UFC with a 7-5 overall record. Not so bad. He was above 500. His last fight, he ended up losing a split decision to Ricky Simone, who's in the UFC. One judge thought he won the fight. It was very close. Ray Borg twice won performance of the night for the UFC. He was let go after several fights were canceled due to him withdrawing. Not sure what happened there. There might be some more information there online. I didn't do a deep dive into that. But like in 2020, he was supposed to fight Nate Menez, canceled. He was supposed to fight Marab Devashvili, canceled. And then he was also supposed to fight Shabazi in 2021. That also got canceled. All three fights were because he withdrew. So not sure injuries, what the case may be, disagreements. So ultimately, he ends up getting let go after that. The most notable opponents for Ray Borg. His most notable opponents, he fought Luis Smoka, who he won by decision in 2016. He also fought Rogerio Bontarine. He won that fight by decision in 2020. And he also fought Ricky Simone, who we mentioned before that he lost by split decision as his last fight in the UFC. Some things I like about Ray Borg. He's a fairly active fighter. This will be his sixth fight in three years, so averaging about two fights a year. He finished 2-1 in his last three fights in the UFC. Not bad, and we mentioned that last loss was a split decision loss, so he's been doing well even recently when he left the UFC. Very sharp and a hard counterpuncher, so he looks to counter his opponents. He doesn't have a lot of volume per se, not a big jabber, but he looks to counter, throws some nice hooks. He's got a solid chin. He can take a punch. If you watch some of his film, you can see him take some hard punches. He takes them well, knows how to recover, knows how to grapple. He's got excellent takedown defense, and when he does when he does get taken down, he gets up pretty quickly. He's built like the smaller guy here. He's more of the wrestler stature. He's pretty quick, and early in the rounds, early in the fight, he should be able to get it quickly if Cody is to take him down, even though that's not really Cody's style. Now, my concerns for Ray Borg, volume. So one of the things is he's fighting a guy here in Cody Gibson who tends to use I'm going to try to use a comparison, like maybe Steven Thompson mixed with like some Cyril Gone. These are just names that people know. Um, basically, a lot of lower leg kicks, tapping, reaching, karate style, you know, standing to the side. That's Cody Gibson. Cody Gibson has a karate background. He uses it. You could tell. I mean, it's excellent. It's got high volume, high pace. Whereas Ray Borg, that's one of his biggest weaknesses is just output. So this fight could come down to it's very close. But maybe a judge favors with Cody Gibson just because he's got more output, landed more punches. Ray Bork can get situations where he's just looking to counter, looking to counter, and, and that could be a problem for him. 
He also can be taken down. I did mention it. Now, is that Cody Gibson's game? Is that going to be his strategy? Probably not. I mean, if you watch Cody Gibson fights, it's the technique, it's the volume, it's the distance, managing distance. You know, that's his game plan. So I don't see him looking to get a takedown. Now, as for Gibson, his background, from Oklahoma, adopted at two years old along with his brother. So kind of a crazy situation. They're adopted, then they're shipped out to California with the new family. He ends up finding his biological parents and his sister as an adult just a few years ago. So he's been through a whirlwind in his own personal life. He's obviously come out on the other side doing okay, but didn't have a normal, let's say, childhood like most people. But here he is, you know, fighting his way back into the UFC, hopefully uh, making his way around to a different promotion. He was a standout high school wrestler, two-time All-American in college at Menlo College and Bakersfield College. He's got a brown belt um, in BJJ. He did sign to the UFC, obviously, was let go after some time. He finished one and three in the UFC. He is a decent fighter. I think with the right winning streak, the right opponents, maybe not just an EFC, it's in the Bellator PFL. I could see him wake, making his way back in. It's going to have to be quickly, though. He's 34 years old. You know what I'm saying? Um, he retired temporarily in 2017 and then returned about a year later. So he did lose a year there in late 2010s, basically, where I guess he changed his mind. He's a history and economics teacher at Ario Grand High School. Pretty dope. So that's what he does full time. He's got two daughters, his most notable opponents for Cody Gibson. He fought all Jermaine Sterling, current UFC champ. And you see that and you're like, okay, watch the film. First thing he pops out is like, damn, all, all Jermaine Sterling looks way more... Um, I don't want to use the wrong word. He just looks like looks better, looks more like clean cut. I don't know. It just it's a better look for him than whatever he's been wearing. Because if you look at that fight, he's got the nice, just kind of lower, you know, I guess very low profile haircut, and he looks like a whole different guy. And so it's a close fight. It's Aljamain Sterling at his, you know, approaching his prime when he's younger. You know, he's fairly elusive, very athletic. It was 2014. In that fight, he, Cody Gibson loses by decision. So it's not like, again, he doesn't get completely overworked, doesn't get overmatched. He loses by decision. And then John Dodson, 2021, he won that fight via decision. So those are his most notable opponents. The things I like about Cody Gibson, he is an active fighter. He fought twice in 2021. He is coming off of a win against John Dodson, a UFC veteran. He won six of his last seven fights, so on a winning streak. The things that I'm most concerned with Cody Gibson, it seems like, and this is indicative of a lot of guys at this level, whenever he fights a guy that's a little bit higher up, like that UFC level kind of guy, he tends to hit a bump in the road. You know, he, so he struggled there. He was one and three in the UFC. And that's how this kind of works in this game. People will make their way through. Look at Brandon Moreno, what happened to him. He goes to the UFC the first time around, ends up getting cut, makes his way back through LFA second time around, and he sticks. It's a journey. There's going to be ups and downs. But the bottom line is, if you're going one and three, one and four in the UFC, you're probably going to get cut. You got to make your way back through there. For Cody Gibson, my concern is Ray Bork is like FOB, fresh out. Okay, he's the kind of guy where he's not too far removed from the UFC. He is only 28 years old, six-year youth advantage here. There's some definitely some arrows pointing to where Ray Borg could win the fight. I'm leaning towards Cody Gibson because I believe that the technical part of it is going to lean towards him. I like Ray Borg's finishing ability. I think he has power, but that reach is going to be a problem. The leg king is going to be a problem, and I think it adds up over the course of three rounds. The last few notes in the fighters. So comparing them side-by-side side experience-wise, I think they're just about equal. My rationale is that even though Cody Gibson has a few more mixed martial arts fights, they both fought about the same amount of fights in the UFC, and Ray Borg even had a little more success in terms of winning percentage-wise. But they're both very similar activity-wise, similar. So experience, it's just about, you know, equal. IQ, I give a slight edge to Cody Gibson, and that's because of his fighting style, the technique. As he gets older... That can elongate his career, allows him to score more points because he has higher volume. So I'd give him a little slight edge there in fighter IQ and tactic. Cardio, about the same. Both guys have shown that they have plenty of cardio in round three. I don't expect either guy to be 
fatigued or look fatigued later in the fight. I don't think age will be a factor for Cody Gibson either. Finishing ability, Ray Borg punches harder. So as I mentioned before, Cody Gibson's got like that Steven Thompson style, Cyril Gaon, where a lot of the punches and strikes are not full force, not even half force, just to you know touch, strike, feel your opponent out, and also to score points. Ray Borg doesn't do a lot of that. <laughs> when he's when he's punching, he means it. Uh, when he's throwing these hooks, these body shots, he means it. So I think he has a slight edge there in finishing power or finishing ability. Boxing-wise, I'm also going to give a slight edge to Ray Borg in just boxing. I want to make sure I break these in two parts. Boxing-wise, he's standing up, throwing punches. He's more of a square boxer, chin down. He's got his guard up. So his boxing overall, those fundamentals are better than what you see from Cody Gibson, who's using more karate. Okay, so if we're using just striking overall, Cody Gibson's the better striker. He's got more of a variety of strikes, kicks, and whatever else, spinning stuff. But just straight up boxing, Ray is the better boxer, has better boxing technique. In the last category, grappling. Fairly even. I think Ray Borg at times could maybe get the better of Cody Gibson if he really tries to wrestle him because he is a shorter fighter, will have leverage. On the flip side there, Cody Gibson is very elusive, very athletic, and I haven't seen Ray Borg over-wrestle his opponents. Like That's not really his game plan. He likes to fight on his feet. So with that said, grappling-wise, just about equal. These guys are very evenly matched. I told you in the beginning I'm going to side with Cody Gibson. I'm going to stay on that side. I like the dog money too, but this is a pick -em. Either guy can win the fight. Both UFC guys who fought in the UFC before. Um, I expect it to be pretty close, but I think the athletic ability, the flash, the kicking, the striking, the pace and pressure. Not sorry, not pressure because he doesn't pressure his opponent, but the pace that Cody Gibson will have. He'll be on his bicycle. It'll be hard for Ray to you know, hit him all the time. Ray's going to have a hard time closing distance. He's going to have that big reach disadvantage. So, so on and so on. I like Cody Gibson to win the fight. Good luck. The co-main event for EFC 44 is going to feature a light heavyweight bout between a UFC veteran, Rashad Sugar Evans, coming out of retirement, facing off against Gabriel Checo. Gabriel Checo goes by Zangief. He's 12-5-0 overall, 2-3 in his last five fights. Brazilian fighter based now out of Las Vegas, Nevada. 35 years old, 6'1 with 71.5 inch reach. It says he trains out of Zangief Jiu-Jitsu, but I believe I heard him training out of one of the local gyms there in uh, Nevada, just not sure which one. As for Rashad Sugar Evans... 1981 overall, former UFC champion, 0-5 in his last five fights, unfortunately. I believe he lost seven of his last nine fights before he took a retirement in 2018. So he's coming out of retirement for this fight. He's based out of Boca Raton, Florida, where he trains out of Black Zillions, 42 years old, six foot in height, so one inch shorter than Gabriel, and 75-inch reach will give him a four, almost a four-inch reach advantage there, which he should be able to use to be competitive on the outside. Now, looking at the Tapology Public Votes, Evans is only getting 22% of the votes here in 4G and 78% coming in for Checo. I hate to go against the former UFC champion, the All-American, you know, former Michigan State wrestler, the whole nine, but I do think Gabriel Checo just has enough advantages here. And Rashad Evans, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to get all into why he's coming out of retirement, but Dana White has usually said in the past, and I believe he's spot on when he says that fighters come out of retirement usually for one reason and one reason only. And it's not like, oh, I want to live the glory and I, I wouldn't know it's it's strictly financial I hate to see a guy 42 years old feeling you know the need to come back to this profession it's not like if he's a basketball player coming back and it's like oh my knees you know hurting me but I'm gonna work through it I have a better rehab program you know it's, it's your brain here right you know your brain getting hit Rashad Evans has a very strong wrestling background starting from when he was younger he wrestled in high school in New York didn't win a state title but was a finalist after finishing in high school, goes off to junior college, where he becomes a national champion junior college at 165 pounds. From there, he transfers to a Division I school, Michigan State, goes on to wrestle there, finishes his college career, doesn't become like an All-American or win an NCAA title, but still a solid wrestler in college, Division I wrestler. 
In 2019, he was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. He won a UFC lightweight belt in 2008. That was like the height of his career. That year, he won Fighter of the Year. He he ends up losing that belt later on to Machida via KO. But anyway, that was like the highlight of his career, 2008, which is roughly what almost 14 years ago at this point. He earned bonuses for Fight of the Night, Knockout of the Night, and KO of the Year. Um, the KO of the Year was against Chuck Liddell. He also fought some very high-level guys back then, the who's who of that, you know, of those weight classes, um, very impressive resume. The guy was around, too, when there was some dogs in the game. And I, I just hate looking at him now and thinking, oh, man, he's so past his prime. I don't want to see him get beat up here by, by Gabriel. He retired in 2018. That was 10 years after 2008. 2008, again, was his prime of his career. 10 years later, he's retiring due to injuries, due to losses. The biggest thing that Rashad Evans has going for him in this fight, and I think the only thing, <laughs> I want to be, be sure I'm clear on this, MMA experience. Um, he's been in there. He's got it in his head. He knows what it takes. Probably got a grappling advantage here, right? Former wrestler. He should have a submission advantage. Though he hasn't fought in four years, right? Retired. I'm sure he's done some rolling. You know, that's one of those things you can still do to keep in shape. You're rolling, keeping yourself active on the mat. He looked in wonderful shape recently. There was some videos, promo videos. He looked like he was in great shape. Does look old in the face, but he did look like he was in phenomenal shape. So I think his former UFC, you know, past experience, you know, former champion, the whole deal. That's the one thing he can hold, you know, hang his hat on. My concerns for him, he's been very inactive, obviously. This is his first fight in, like, what, four years because he retired in 2018. He's 0-5 in his last five fights. And a matter of fact, he lost seven of his last nine fights. His last win was in 2013. That's almost nine years ago. I mean, these are just realities. I know it's he's been retired for a little bit, but look, it's been nine years since he last notched the win in any kind of mixed martial arts match. He did retire for a reason. Not to be a smart ass, but he retired for a reason. Why? Injuries, losses. But one of the last losses that Rashad Evans had was a split decision loss to Sam Alvey. That's how far Rashad Evans had fallen towards the end of his career. You know, he also lost by split decision to Daniel Kelly. Daniel Kelly is no longer in the UFC, and he lost his last three UFC fights in a row. Now, a round one KO loss to Glover to share towards the end doesn't look as bad now, considering to share is the champion, but still a KO loss, which is not great. Um, then he also got the KO loss in his last fight to Anthony Smith with a knee that the announcers were saying before it came, like, oh, he's got to be careful. One of the announcers were saying, he's got to be careful. He's, you know, Anthony Smith setting up a knee here. And all of a sudden, Rashad Evans could just bang with the knee. One shot, that's it. He's down. One or two follow-up shots from Anthony Smith. But basically, he gets knocked out twice in his last four fights before calling it quits. Those last losses were not great. It wasn't like he was going to decision or, or coming close to winning fights. He lost seven of his last nine. It was a tough go of it there at the end. Again, I fear what four years later, he didn't get any younger. As for Gabriel Checo, Brazilian-born fighter, no amateur fights. His most notable opponents, though, he does have some people on his resume. He fought Ian Heinish, and he lost to him in 2018 in LFA. That was a round one TKO loss. He fought Jordan Wright, current UFC fighter, in 2020 in LFA. He lost to him, round two TKO. And he also fought uh, current UFC fighter Jake Collier, back when Jake Collier was like a middleweight, 2014 in RFA. And he lost to him via round one rear naked choke. So all current UFC fighters, actually, Ian Heinish, Jordan Wright, and Jay Collier. The things I like about Gabriel Checo, very active fighter. He's fought 12 times over the last two years if you factor in the grappling bouts. So, for example, 2021, he fought six times. And I was like, I think one or two MMA matches and four grappling bouts. And he did the same exact thing in 2020. So very active fighter. Even at his, at his age of, what, 35, about to be 36 soon. He shared the cage with some high-level guys. You know, he, Jordan Right, Jay Collier, Ian Heinish, UFC level opponents. So he's been in there with some guys who have some experience. And I think when you think about that factor with the recent activity, there's a big edge there for him over Rashad Evans, who might be quite rusty coming in here, having not been punched in the face, having gone through this in a while. It's just been a little bit, you know what I mean? 
Gabriel Checo doesn't have the greatest boxing technique, but he does have very hands. He looks to strike hard, looks to get his whole body into it. If he strikes and lands, it could be a problem for Rashad Evans, who I think at the end of his career was showing that his chin was becoming an issue too. He's a balanced fighter, Gabriel Checo, that is. He can work on the ground, work on his feet. He's not amazing in either spot, but he's not terrible in either spot either. My concerns with Gabriel Checo, he seems to struggle with all of these UFC high-level, not high-level, but like any bona fide UFC caliber guys that he's gone against. Whether you want to say Ian, Ian, Ian Heinish is great or not, I understand that's an argument for another day. I'm not saying he's great. Or Jordan Wright or Jake Collier are all just, you know, okay UFC fighters, right? But when he fought them, not only did he lose, he was getting finished like in round one, round two, TKOs, RNCs, you know, it wasn't look, it wasn't even close. My concern is, well, if he fights another guy, even over the hill, Rashad Evans, does he run into the same situation where he just gets outclassed again? He does get off balance. Gabriel Checo does some, throw some wild shots. If he gets off balance, will Rashad look to take back control? Will he look to take him down? Will Rashad Evans have the cardio in late round two, late round three to maintain a wrestling approach and do that? Will Gabriel Checo have the cardio to keep him off of him? Will Checo try to wrestle him down, get him on his back, and see if Rashad Evans has you know, got enough energy to get back up? Now, if you look at Gabriel Checo's physique, that's something that you got to consider. He's built a little bit like that Adolfo, uh, Rodolfo Vieira, where it's like like strong man, like very thick, very, you know, uh, like a linebacker in football. And so that physique tends to gas out a lot of times, right? So will that be a factor? On the money line, currently, Gabriel Checo is minus 245. You can get Rashad Evans at plus 185. I agree with those odds. It makes sense. Rashad Evans has not been around for a while. This probably would be even wider if his name wasn't Rashad Evans and he wasn't a former UFC champion. But the reality is I don't see a lot of ways that Rashad can get around, you know, the age factor. Rashad's a smart fighter. He's been in there. He's a former UFC champ. I don't know how much I like him in here, though, at the age of 42. That's probably why I'm not giving him a four or four and a half in the fighter I reading. I don't think this is a good move for him. It's not intelligent. As for Gabriel Checo, you know, the clock's ticking for him, too. I'm sure he's going to be looking to get out of the game in the next few years as well. But this will be a nice, you know, something good for him and his legacy on his, you know, on his resume. And it should be noted, this EFC promotion is trying to get their, you know, get the ball rolling here in the States. They want to get as many top-notch names, names people recognize. If they have to bring in some old recycled UFC, you know, guys that retired, whatever else it guys, you know, it takes, or people that have had any kind of lineage to UFC fighters, that's the angle, right? I hope Rashad Evans ends up, you know, not getting himself in trouble here. I hope he doesn't end up with any kind of a nasty injury and he's able to walk away from this fight and end up, uh, you know, with his head how, you know, high, held high. In terms of their side-by-side -side comparisons, the last few details on them, experience-wise, give an edge to Rashad Evans. Fighter IQ-wise, give an edge to Evans. Cardio-wise, I give an edge to Gabriel, just simply younger. I've seen him in there more recently. Not sure what Rashad's like, what kind of shape he's going to be in. Finishing power, I hate to say it, I think Gabriel right now is throwing bombs and Rashad has shown a little bit of weakness recently. He never was the best KO artist, but he used a good, you know, clinch game he can work in the clinch he can get guys down that's what you have to do here and that's older fighters gonna be so tough so the finishing ability i think the edge goes to gabriel boxing ability rashad's a sharp barks a sharp bark excuse me a sharp boxer so he can hold his own i think their boxing is about equal power we can argue about that as a different you know subject but 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 boxing ability is about the same grappling ability i'm gonna give an edge there to the veteran rashad evans because again the wrestling background he has shown it it has been years but We'll see what happens here. I'm going to definitely be tuning in for this fight. I'm sure a lot of fans, even the former like, you know, UFC fans from way back in the day who are just like looking for some UFC on Friday night, they'll find a way to tune in here because uh, this guy was a UFC legend, a nice fighter. And what happens from here? I don't know. Where does he go from here? Does he win the fight? Maybe some kind of weird decision. I don't know. Somehow he finishes Gabriel and then he goes on to another fight in the UFC. 
I just hope he's not too beat up. I hope it's not an ugly loss. Or if anything, I hope it's a fast finish where he doesn't take a lot of damage. Kudos to Khabib. He's getting names back out, you know, out there that uh, people recognize. Good luck with this one, guys. The main event for EFC 44 is going to feature a heavyweight clash between Sergei Karatanov from Russia and Tyron Spong from Suriname. Spong goes by King of the Ring. He's 2-0. He's currently fighting out of Boca Raton, Florida, where he trains out of Sanford MMA. 36 years old, 6'2 in height with 72.5-inch reach. Now, as for Karatanov, he goes by the Paratrooper. 33-9 overall. So, wow, a lot of fight experience in mixed martial arts, a lot more than Tyron Spong. We'll talk about that as we break down this fight. For Sergey Karatanov, he's 3-2 in his last five fights. Russian fighters currently fighting out of Amsterdam, Netherlands. 41 years old. He's 6'4", list here for Sergey. I'm going to sort of argue in that I think he's about the same height as Tyron Spong. I do think that Tyron Spong is full 6'2", whereas Sergey, I don't think he's 6'4". Maybe not anymore. Maybe he's kind of shrunken a little bit here. Now, Sergey will have a reach advantage, 75 inches compared to 72 and a half. And if you know anything about Sergey, and of course he's getting older, but that power is translating. He's got a wonderful jab. We'll talk about his jab and a nice cross that follows it, something that Tyron's going to have to be very careful of. So Spong's training out of Sanford May. Sergey's out of Golden Glory, both pretty good gyms. Looking at topology numbers here, it looks like Spong's getting most of the votes, about 66% to be exact, 34% coming in for Karatanov. I do like Spawn to win the fight as well. Tyron Spawn was born in Suriname, but he moved to Netherlands when he was five years old. He started kickboxing at the age of 13, and he took his actual first fight in kickboxing at 15 years old. You look at him fight now, you can tell he definitely has a kickboxing background, wide stance, light on his feet. He's the current WBC Latino heavyweight champion and WBO Latino heavyweight champion for boxing. He's a former WFCA cruiserweight champion for kickboxing. So kickboxing and boxing, that's been his thing. I think he's going to be a little better off in this fight than maybe if he fought a, a traditional mixed martial artist who would take him down and grapple. It's a heavyweight bout. Doesn't mean Sergey won't try to take down. It wasn't, doesn't mean he won't you know, try to take advantage of him on the ground if he gets to the ground. But what I mean is most of this fight probably will be on the feet anyway. So from the standpoint that Tyron Spong doesn't have a lot of mixed martial arts experience or grappling experience, it seems as if a fight on the feet would lend to his strength, right? Kickboxing. So he's got kickboxing experience, Muay Thai experience. His kickboxing record, here we go. 107, 7 and 2. 73 knockouts. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. Tyron Spong is 107, 7 and 2 with 73 KOs in kickboxing. Just a shitload of fights for kickboxing. He's 14-0 in boxing with 13 knockouts. And his mixed martial arts record is 2-0. Very athletic for a heavyweight. It reminds me of like a smaller version of Cyril Gaon, where it's like he's athletic, he's big, he can move, nice wide stance, can avoid punches, and he should have a much, you know, he should be much quicker and have an athletic advantage here over the older fighter. Initially, this fight was supposed to be between Spong and Bigfoot. But Bigfoot ended up backing out, and they replaced him with Karatanov. Not for nothing, but Karatanov has been slowing down recently, getting a late replacement call to fill in for a guy like Silva in a main event here against Spong. Just seems like it's nice that he's doing it. He's probably boys with Khabib and whatever else, knows the promotion. Just seems like it's going to be a kind of an uphill climb for him. We'll talk more about some of the challenges that he you know, may face in this match. Spong is currently on a 14-fight winning streak, and the last time he lost, it was actually because of a leg injury. It wasn't like he was losing the fight, per se. He actually just hurt his leg. Spong's kicking game is nasty. I imagine it's going to be a factor. If it doesn't hurt Sergey to the body initially, it might just chop his legs and eventually bring Karatanov to the ground that way. Now, as for Karatanov, born in Russia, 
very athletic parents. Matter of fact, his parents were like almost Olympic level athletes themselves. They got him into mixed martial arts. He went to a military type high school. He enlisted into the Russian airborne troops upon graduation, which is why I guess he goes by the name paratrooper. He resigned from the military with a captain's rank. The dude's been a pro for 22 years. He's got experience in M1, Strike Force, Pride, and Bellator. Seven Bellator fights, three, three, and one overall. Two and zero boxing record. Two and two kickboxing record. The most notable opponents for Karatonov, he's beaten Matt, Matt Matrone, former UFC fighter. He won in 2019, TKO round two. He also beat Andre Orlovsky in strike force. That was back in the day, but he still got the win. He lost to Josh Barnett, and he had two fights against Alistair Arum. So from an experience standpoint, there's no question Karatonov has been there with some guys. Some of the things I like about Karatonov's game, number one, even though he's getting older, his power is, tr is still translating. And most people know in the heavyweight division, the power tends to still go with you, and it's the last thing to go. His jab is heavy. He'll have a reach. If he connects with a heavy jab here, he's going to stun Spong at least, at least force Spong to you know, think about it. It's not a high-volume jab for Karatonov, but it's heavy, and if he follows it up with a right hand, it can be nasty. His grappling experience is to be noted. So if he has the energy, Karatonov that is, to do some grappling in round one, that could be a path to at least putting Spong in some, you know, compromising positions. Maybe he could look to get a rear naked choke. You know, Spong should not have a lot of experience in the ground. I mean, he's probably working on some of it, but most of this fight, he's preparing for it to be on the feet. So, with that said, my concerns on Karatanov, some obvious ones. His age, and not just the fact that he's 41, his recent fights are showing a speed, you know, decline. Um, a cardio decline. The fight against Congo was very concerning where he hurts Congo in round one, almost has him finished. I mean, the fight's just about older. Congo's 46 years old at the time, oldest fighter currently in Bellator. And so he ends up going ahead and losing to him in round two, not because of anything else, but just simply cardio. Gets taken down with ease. He's balled up. He just can't respond with any shots. And the fight ends up getting TKO called. And look, I think if this fight goes to round two or three, I see the same thing for Karatonov. I think he's one and done here. He's coming in as a late replacement here for Silva. I don't think he's going to have the gas tank to go round two, round three, whereas Spong, pretty athletic. We compared him again, you know, similar to like a Cyril Gaon where he's lighting his feet, got good cardio. I do think his best days are behind him for Spong, but man, he should have a speed advantage here against Karatonov. He should have a quick, a quickness advantage in every, every way, shape, or form. Should be able to avoid the ground, you know? As for Karatonov, a few more things that concern me is he's 0-2 in his last two Bellator fights, 3-3 three three overall in Bellator, which suggests to me kind of average heavyweight at this point. And yes, getting older, you know, he's been fighting a lot of low-level competition lately as well. So when you look at his topology and you see some of the wins, you're like, okay, there's a win against this person or that person. And then you look closely at them and you're like, okay, this is a guy who's, you know, maybe out of shape, or this is a guy who hasn't fought in a while. And he'll pick up a win here and there. But whenever he fights somebody who's anywhere decent, like Linton Vassell or, or Cheek Congo, he doesn't seem to do so well. I think in this fight here, there is the chance that Tyron Spong simply doesn't have the experience in the mixed martial arts world, has a hard time with that. But I think we went over the details there. Tyron Spong has a lot of competitive experience. If he kicks, if he uses his kicking game the right way here, I think he could chop down uh, Karatonov pretty early and often. Obviously, Sergey Karatonov has a huge experience advantage here, but in many mixed martial arts fights compared to Tyron Spong. But let's make sure we clarify that. It's not just fighting experience. Fighting experience Spong has actually been in like three or four times the amount of fights between his kickboxing and boxing career. So just consider that, all right? IQ-wise, I'm going to give them both about the same IQ rating. Sergey Karatonov is a veteran, good fighter, knows what he's doing, coming in late replacement. He'll train appropriately for this fight. For Tyron Spong, hundreds of fights on his record, both guys, high fighter IQ. Cardio-wise, I'm clearly giving an edge to Tyron Spong. I believe he will have a round two or three. Remember, kickboxer, boxer, 
This guy has boxed seven, eight, nine, ten round fights. He's boxed, okay? He has the cardio, the jogging. He's got the tank. He's got the youth advantage. Finishing ability. Sergey Karatanov always has power to finish the fight. I think you got to respect that. He can always clip spawn here at some point. I believe he comes out early and aggressive and looks to do that when he's got the gas tank. For Tyron Spong, whether he has amazing finishing ability in mixed martial arts or not, it may not matter in terms of like, oh, he can't submit, for example, or he can't, you know, choke someone on the ground or whatever, or he, you know, his ground and pound game might be weak. All he has to do is get to round two or three, use some leg kicks and chop down Sergey, and I think that leads to a TKO of some kind. Boxing-wise, I'm giving a significant advantage to Tyron Spong. Obviously, he's got boxing history, boxing background. Now, Sergey does have the amazing jab. Heavy jab can have a nice one-two combination. I've seen it. Other guys have gotten knocked down recently from it, so he's not a bad boxer, but I give a slight advantage there to Spong. Grappling-wise, clearly I give an advantage to Sergey Karatanov. On best fight odds right now, it's at plus, yeah, plus 145. And you got Tyron Spong at minus 175. I mean, my thinking is, look, you got a younger fighter. No question to me that he's going to be the quicker, you know, more agile fighter. He's going to have the bigger gas tank as long as he stays out of range. You know, as he should be able to land some leg kicks, like some body kicks, tire out Sergey, and let's hope he gets a finish. You know, I'd like to see that. So this is the main event. This will be kicking off at like what two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning by the time the prelims work their way through. I like Tyron Spong in this event. We'll see what happens here. Best of luck on this fight, guys. That brings us to the end of the episode here. I'm going to give you a summary of our favorite picks to win, starting with the main card. We like Spong, Checo, Gibson. Howard and Magomed Alayev. In the prelim card, we like Armand Ospinov and Jorgen DeCastro. If you're paying attention there, John Howard is a plus 300 dog on the main card, and Cody Gibson's a plus 145 dog. Those are the two dogs we're going to be looking to play. We might parlay Tyron Spong and Raymond Magomed Alayev with some things. Those guys are pretty starchy numbers there on the money line, but we also feel confident in them. The ones we don't feel the most confident about, I would say Jorgen DeCastro at minus 400. Little scary. I'd stay away from that spot. And then I think again, Ramazan Kurmagomedov against John Howard. That minus 400 is a little chalky there to be jumping on Ramazan. We'll see what happens here. Enjoy the event, guys. Thanks for stopping by. And as usual, if you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe. Take care.